so this week, it, 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 was, it was really interesting as I was prepping for the message. Uh, I, I, I went for a run and it was cold, so I ended up going to the gym. Don't really like running on a treadmill, but ended up doing so. Running on a treadmill, I look up and all the TVs, there's news going on. And they're showing these videos of buildings exploding in Israel, in Palestine. And it's just constant. Buildings blowing up, streets blowing up. And they're talking about it and a straight face talking about it. And, and I'm running and I get broken hearted over it. And the reason why I got broken hearted over it is because I understood that what I was watching was not just buildings blowing up. I was watching that there were people inside of those buildings. There were people in those streets. And there's a fight that's been going on in this place for generations upon generations upon generations. And we have gotten to this place where I am watching from a God's eye view the destruction of God's people. Not just God's people there in Israel, but watching his creation be put on as entertainment and news. And it broke my heart that that's who we are now that we are a people who have become desensitized to the destruction and the evil that happens within the world. I remember the first time I had ever seen anything like that, and it was during the Gulf War in the early 90s. I remember seeing that happen, seeing a building explode, and originally thinking, my goodness, what is that? I was shocked by it. But the shock has worn off in all of these years of watching it happen with the second Gulf War in Afghanistan and Ukraine and all these different wars. We saw it and watched it and become desensitized to all that is evil within the world and recognizing that God is watching this. But it's, he's no stranger to it. He's seen it throughout all of history and throughout all of humanity that from the very beginning there was sin in the earth. There was sin in the world, and that sin was separating us from him. And in the process of that sin separating us from him, he devised a plan where he said, I have to go be with them. Consider when we first were created in Genesis, it says that God walked with Adam, that God was there present. He touched him. He was in his face. They had a relationship. They were close together. And because of sin, they got to a place where that could not happen anymore. Not that God was worried about getting stains on him or getting sin on him. It was that people, we could not stand the holiness of God. We could not stand the glory of God. That where God moves, there is a, a glory that proceeds from him. And that glory, it's, it has an effect where you can't come close to him if there is sin, if there is iniquity. Knowing that and seeing our need for him and seeing our consistent desire to find ways to destroy ourselves even further, he said, I'm going to step into that. I'm going to step into the world that they walk in so that they might know me, so that they might be able to see me, so that they would be able to understand my goodness, my love, and my glory. What would God look like if he stepped into this world? I think about 
how often we try to conceptualize what God looks like. And we ask ourselves, well, what would, God, what would it be like if God were to step into this world? And a couple of things immediately arise as tensions within our hearts. And the first thing that we question is, how do we see God? How do we see him? Have you ever seen him? Have you ever gazed your face to face with God? I would venture to say that there were only two people in all of humanity who have ever seen God, and that would be Adam and Eve. And if Adam and Eve were the last two to see God, do we have a right understanding of God? Scripture tells us that this God who sits upon a throne is invisible, so how do we have an image of this God? If he's also invisible, Scripture also tells us of his holiness that I mentioned a second ago. And this holiness keeps us out of the relationship with God because he is holy and we are not without him. Sacred, set apart, purified for his use. Is that us? Can we, can we see God by not, and not be holy? So we have two things against us. One, he is an invisible, unseeable God. Secondly, he is holy and far from us. Third, he is intense. His glory and his presence is so intense that when Moses asked that he wanted to see God, God said, I can't show you all of who I am. And so he takes Moses and he hides him in a rock so that Moses can look out on, all through a crack to see God as he is already passed and he gets a chance to see the end of his glory. He doesn't even get a chance to see God completely. And just by seeing the end of his glory, Moses' face is glowing for days upon days upon days after just by seeing that. Oh, the presence of God is so intense. Not only do we see it there, but we also see it in Isaiah when Isaiah says that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And the presence of his glory evoked Isaiah to start confessing sin. It became very present. And when he walked into that moment and he sees God high and lifted up, he says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among people of unclean lips. It's not just me who is a sinner. I see everybody's sin now. We need you. We need you, God. But what happens when we can't see God? We can't be near God. We can't stand this intensity of God. These things I wanted to illustrate because it goes against the second commandment. And the second commandment says this, that you should make no graven images or worship anything as an image of God. And part of the reason is because of these three things, how will you ever know what image to create? How will you ever know what image to paint of God when you are saying, I'm illustrating this beautiful thing that God has done for me. What face do you place on it? because you have never seen his face. And so oftentimes we create this face and we worship this face and this image that God did not tell us is who he is. We fabricate it so that it's more palatable for us. But the reason why that's wrong is because it diminishes his glory. We've never seen the fullness of his glory. We've never seen the beauty of his face. And so when we try to paint it, when we try to sculpt it, it automatically diminishes 
who he actually is and becomes an idol. See, these are the struggles that we come to. But if that's the case, then if he is a loving God, and if he is a God who desires to be with his people, what do we do with the fact that we can't see him and we can't feel him without being holy before him? And his intensity even is too strong for us to feel him. What do we do in those moments? Well, God stepped in and he revealed himself. He showed himself. And how did he show himself? He showed himself through the glory that was revealed in Christ Jesus. We look in John chapter 1, verse number 18, and it says there, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What we see there is that God actually did reveal himself to us. And he revealed himself to us in the personhood of Jesus Christ. That is the example that we have, not Michelangelo's paintings, not anything that is hanging in, in grandma's house. The revealed image of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes, if you have seen him, do you believe him? When we look at this and we see that no one has ever seen him, the God who sits on the throne, but he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. How do we know that he is God? Well, we're going to look at John 14 through 15 and, and dig into that just a bit. And it says in verse number 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, the struggle, the tension here in verse number 14 is that that is the crux of the faith. Before we can get to anything about belief, we have to believe this piece. Verse number 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, do you believe that God actually came? Do you believe that he put on human flesh and walked here? If you don't believe that, then the rest of it doesn't matter. So how do we understand that God is talking about himself here, that God is talking, that he was talking about Jesus as being God? Well, we look up at verses uh, one through three, and it says in verse number one, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, here's the thing is, if we're looking at Genesis, we see the parallel. In the beginning, God created. We see that Genesis 1.1. Here we see in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. So we know what we're doing is we're talking about the beginning of all things. How do we also know we're talking about the beginning of all things? Because it says in verse number three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He is God. He created all things. And now what happens then, we look at verse number 14, and the word became flesh. So this God who created all things, this God who was from the beginning, who is eternal, who was with God, again, the beginnings of the understanding of the Trinity, of the, of the personhood of the Godhead, 
He put on flesh. He put on flesh. He put on this thing that can break. He put on this thing that can feel. He put on this thing that needs to eat. He put on this thing that needs to sleep. And we see Jesus walking in all of those things. He was sleeping on the boat. He was eating with his disciples. He was weeping at the death of Lazarus. We see the truth that Jesus was in flesh. But how did he come? He came to us. He came to us and dwelt among us in the same way that you and I dwell. So most of us, we would have, as we think about our fictional or or developed human gods that we see in the written stories, in our movies, and in our, our plays, and in our books, we see gods stepping into the world in their full, powerful form. We see them with all adulthood, wisdom, and strength, and muscles, and all these things, and generally it's it's a man stepping into the world. But that's not how the God of Scripture steps into our life. He steps into our life as a baby. He steps into into our world having a need to be with his mother, to be protected by his father. He has this whole different entrance into this flesh. He grows and he learns. He experiences relationships, friendships with his cousin, friendships with those who are around him. He experienced this fullness of life. He is fully human. Everything that we have experienced, if he was going to just walk into this world as God, he wouldn't start there. But he comes in fully God and fully human at the same time and walks through all of these things. God reveals to us his glory through Jesus. The Jewish readers of John's gospel would connect this tabernacle with the visible manifestation of God. That what he's talking about here is when he says he dwelt among us, is, is he put on this tent around him. He came and he pitched his tent around himself so that he could be here with us. Very similarly to when they were out in the wilderness and that they built this tabernacle so that the Spirit of God could dwell in them and dwell in it, and that's where they would go to meet, that meet with God. That's where they would go to pray. That's where their worship went up. That's where they saw the visible presence of God in that tent. And so it's the same term used here that he dwelt among us. So he put on this tent, this housing, so that the Spirit of God might be able to dwell with us. He's fully taking on that opportunity for us to reveal, to us to see his glory. It's a unique glory, as it is the only glory between the Son and the Father. And it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see further that it is the glory of grace and truth, which is taken uh, from Exodus 34 and 6, where he talks about the Hesed and the Emmet in reference to God's covenantal love and faithfulness towards his people. It's his faithful love towards his people. Why would he do something like this? He would do something like this because he is the God who never changes. He would do something like this because he is the God who is eternally loving. He would do something like this because we needed it. There was no way for us to continue on without him coming and being with us. John invites us to behold Jesus. And Jesus is the invisible, holy, heavenly, 
and severely intense God. And he is now visible, earthly, fleshly, and approachable, and full of the covenantal love and faithfulness. We needed him. When we see Jesus here, what we also see is that he is, is giving us a tangible image that we can understand of God the Father. We see that throughout John, and he is constantly trying to help us to see him, to see God the Father. And what, he, what we see in Jesus is like this little architectural model. So sometimes before you build a multi-million dollar or billion dollar building, you have to give the people who are building it or financing it a scale model to help them to wrap their minds around what exactly is happening here. And so before you build this building, you might start off with a sketch. And no, a sketch is not good enough for what we're talking about with Jesus, but there are whole companies set aside to help architects to be able to build some really detailed 3D models of what these buildings and stadiums and, and these really intricate things to be. And they look at them and they're able to see, oh, this is going to be nice. This is what this is gonna be. So Jesus comes and he is he gives us this glimpse of who God is, who the Father is, the glory that is contained in it, that though the law may come, the law has come, Jesus is walking this thing out perfectly. Every time we take time to read the accounts of Jesus, we are beholding him. When we read this scripture, when we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who are we seeing? What are we seeing? When you open up scripture, are you just looking for yourself in scripture? Or are you asking God, show me more of who you are? Jesus, reveal yourself to me that I might know the true God. And that's what he says in 17, in John chapter 17, he says, I have shown them the Father. They have seen me. Every word that I have said has been his. Everything that I have done has been because he has commanded me to do so. And so how do we see the glory of God? Well, we behold the works of Jesus, not just the personhood of Jesus, but we behold the works that Jesus has done. So we look in chapter, uh, at verse number 16, and it says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. So he notes that while Moses brought the law, Jesus brought grace and truth. And what John is pointing to here is that while the law through Moses brought revelation about God, we weren't able to fully receive it. And shortly after Moses brings the, the, the Ten Commandments, shortly after he brings these things, what happens? We see People still consistently falling, they're, they're, they're not measuring up. The law is, is, is a measuring stick to say this is what is righteous, this is what is holy, and unfortunately none of us are able to measure up to that holy measuring stick. And so as time goes on, people are consistently trying to measure up and it becomes a legalistic thing where we're just checking off boxes. And what is happening is that if we really looked at the fact that we could never measure up, it would always point us back to him and say, well, I need him. I need him to measure up. I need him so that I don't try to steal from my neighbor, so that I don't try to lie to my sister, so I don't try to do these things. I need him. That's what the law was designed to do, but unfortunately we took it the other way and we said, as long as I can check all these boxes, call me righteous. But what happens after that? 
We consistently fall and fall and walk away from God. And we think that if we go back to those 10 commandments and just try to be right, just try to live right by those 10 commandments, that we will be accepted and it's still missing the point. The point is that we need a relationship with him. And so Jesus had to come. And so Jesus is the fullness of that God. Jesus is the fullness of all of those laws. Everything that was laid out, Jesus walks out and exemplifies in the perfect ways. He was everything that we needed. John says this like this in 3.16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he continues on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, this is the thing is that Jesus can show up and, and we paint him in this picture to be something that is a qualifier, something that pushes people away. But he was sent so that we would be brought back into the fold so that we would be, uh, there would be nothing that would keep us away from him. That even that holiness of God, we can now take on the righteousness of Christ and now we can enter in. We can go into the holy place. See, in the Old Testament, only one of the priests could walk in. He had to take on the ephod. He had to take on all of the dressings, all of the remembrances of God's promises before he walked into the presence of God. And now we get to take on that same example. We get to take on the righteousness of Christ and then go into the holiness of God and experience him through Jesus Christ. I want you to think of it from the standpoint of a love that a husband has for a wife, or a wife to a husband. But that, that love can be stated. But if that love is only stated and never actualized, then is that love actually love? So what God is doing through that law, he has stated who he is, but then he steps in and actually walks it out. He walks out that love. He exhibits that for us. And what we see in Romans 5 and 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's not who people are. We don't do that. We don't look at our enemies. We don't look at those who have done us wrong perpetually and say, I'm going to bless them more than they could ever consider. See, but this is who God is. God says, I love you so much that even though you are a sinner, even though you are far from me, and sometimes even your desire is not for me, I will still bless you. I will still love you. I will still pour myself out to you because I want you, because I desire to know you. You are my creation, and I will step into your world so that you will understand how much I actually love you. Whoever believes in him. This is why I said that verse 14 is the beginning. It's the beginning of whether you actually wanna walk this thing out or not. Do you believe that God came? Do you believe that God put on flesh and walked this place? Because if you can believe that part, then you can believe the, the miracles 
then you can believe the water into wine. You can believe the healing of the blind. You can believe the death, burial, and resurrection. If you can believe that he came, if you can believe that he walked, then all the rest of it will fall in place. But if you don't believe that, then the rest of it doesn't matter. But this God came. The dust of Jerusalem will tell you so. Walk where he walked. See the sunsets the way he saw the sunsets. Our God has come, Emmanuel, with us. I want you to look into Scripture. Continue to read through John. Continue to read through Luke, Mark, and Matthew so that you will see him. If you see him, you will see God's glory. If you see God's glory, we will forever be changed. Just as Moses was changed, just as Isaiah was changed, we will forever be changed.